I have a question. Are you mowing in the dark? Welcome back to the Mowing in the Dark podcast. I am your host, Aaron Sutter. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Friday episode. And guys, this is LCBU episode number one. What is LCBU? That is something that it's a challenge that my buddy Cameron Duncan came up with last year. And a couple of us guys that do podcasts, uh, one was Cameron, one was Tony Rudolph, and uh, with Tony's Lawn Care, Tony's Lawn Care, he's on YouTube, and you can find him on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, Phil's Lawn Care, that is actually Phil with Phil's lawn care, the one that is blowing up on YouTube right now, does all the satisfying mowing stuff. He was a part of it. And there was a couple other guys, but they really didn't get going into it. So Tony won the challenge last year and I didn't, I I was a part of the challenge, but I never said on the podcast anything really about LCBU. It just kind of interrupted the flow, flow a little bit. So LCBU stands for Lawn Care Brothers Unite Challenge. Okay, so the the C for challenge isn't in the acronym, but that's what we're doing. So this is LCBU number one, and it is a Faith Friday today. Thank you so much for coming back for another Faith Friday. I know it's been a little while since I've done one. I, I was just up in the air on where I should go next in the Bible. Because what we do here for Faith Friday is I take a book of the Bible and we do one chapter a week. So I read the chapter just so that we're in context with everything that we're thinking about and saying. And then we go back verse by verse and kind of break it down a little bit. So I decided that for the next series, we're going to be jumping into James. So... We're going to be jumping into James today. Now, before I go any further, I got to give my disclaimer for anyone that might be new. I'm not a Bible scholar. I didn't go to Bible school. I just love the word of God and I read it and I study it and I share what I can with you all. That being said, I think it's going to be a really good series. James is a really rich book. And you can take it really shallow or you can go really deep. And I've been reading the first chapter of James for like two weeks now. And I'm still not sure what I'm going to say about it, but we're at least going to read it. And we're going to go through it verse by verse. And we're just going to see what comes out of it. So before we jump into that, let me play the show sponsor and then we will come right back to it. As a lawn care provider, do you want to make a year-round income? Are you worried at the end of the lawn care season because you don't know how you're going to make it through the winter? Then you need to check out the 12-month contract 
from the Mowing in the Dark podcast. This is the same contract that Aaron uses to grow his lawn care business. This 100% editable 12-month contract template is available for only $5.99. The contract has rock-solid terms and conditions, so you are protected from all kinds of liability in lawn maintenance and snow removal. Get your 12-month contract at mowinginthedarkpodcast.com today. All right, guys. So I just want to talk a little bit about how my week has gone, how my day went today. It has been super dry here all week. We have gotten a few showers here and there, which is nice, but it's not nearly enough rain. So it has been super dry. I've been skipping a few lawns. I skipped a lot of lawns last week. And so last week, I it was bad. This week, because I skipped last week, I have had more mowing to do, but it's still pretty dry. The lawns haven't grown a lot. They're just kind of, they, they look unkempt. And so I, I like to keep them looking nice. So I, I just gone over some of them, but some of them I've had to skip still. So that's been my week, my last couple of weeks, just very dry, very just, there's not a lot to do. So, uh, well, there is things to do. Like I, I've done some shrub trimming, things like that. And there's always Ventrac work that I can do if, if uh, you know, I don't have anything else to do. So, with all that being said, let's jump into James chapter 1. If you're at home and you're listening, grab your Bible, read along. I would really like that. Um, if you have questions or if you want to interact at all, hit me up on Facebook. Just look up Aaron Sutter, A-A-R-O-N. Sutter, S-U-T-T-E-R. I will come up and you can message me there or you can look me up on Facebook under Lansing Lawn Service. Or Did I say Facebook? I meant Instagram. And uh, you can message me there as well if you have any questions, okay? Or comments or whatever. Or you can email me at lansinglawnservice at gmail.com. All right, let's jump into James. James chapter one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed." 
In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But choose to give us birth. I'm sorry, let me go back. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that ends James chapter 1. Now, before I go any further, before we go back to verse 1 and go through this verse by verse, I want to give a little, a little, uh, I guess, history on the book of James. Um, James, the author of James, is believed to be James, the brother of Jesus. All right, now Catholics believe that Jesus was an only child, so that is a problem there, Um between, I guess you would call us Protestants. I don't consider myself a Protestant. Um, I actually consider myself an Anabaptist. If you don't know what that that is, go look it up online. You can Google it. All right, but it it doesn't really matter. Um, but I I believe that James, this James, is the brother of Jesus. Now that makes this interesting because James actually rebuked his brother Jesus. Um, I believe it's in one of the Gospels, and he he was not a believer in Jesus. He he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. First off, 
And he, along the way, somewhere along the way, he converted and believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And so that makes this book very interesting. And James, I believe, gives us a really good perspective because he grew up with Jesus. And so I I think this is a really interesting book to go through. There are some scholars also who believe that this was the first book of the Bible written after Jesus' death. Now, that, that is, there is some speculation around that, so I'm not going to, you know, debate that at all. But that would be really interesting if that is true, because James is the brother of Jesus, and he just sat down and decided to write, write his thoughts out. And this says that James was writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So this would be the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so he's writing to believers that are a part of the 12 tribes. They're Jewish believers. Okay, and so with that being said, let's go back to verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So he's just greeting everyone. He's a lot of letters open this way. He's greeting his reader. This is who this book, this letter was intended to reach. Okay, but it is rich with stuff for all of us. Verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Okay, we're just going to stop there because that's the end of verse 2. Consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. As I was reading in my commentary, they brought up a good point that these Jewish believers would have been going through a lot of persecution from other Jews because As we know today, many Jews do not believe Jesus was the Son of God. And so these a lot of these people were being persecuted. James is trying to tell them, guys, consider it pure joy when you face trials of any kind. And verse 3 goes into, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What is perseverance? Perseverance is endurance. You can endure to the end. It's like if you have the picture of running a race, you can endure the race to the end. The testing, the, the, the trials, all those tests that you're being put through right now, those are, are building your body up. They're building your faith up. It's it's the testing of your faith and it develops perseverance so you can make it to the end all the way to death. Verse four, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James is saying here, if we persevere With our faith, first of all, the perseverance has to do its work. So you have to go through trials. If you don't go through trials, if you don't go through hard things, you're not going to persevere to the end. We see this in business. We see this in in our industry, the green industry, the lawn care industry. 
if if you have someone that doesn't go through a lot, they don't know a lot because they haven't experienced those trials that they, that everyone seems to go through in business. And so they haven't learned those lessons. They haven't matured. Perseverance must, must finish its work so that you may mature. You may be mature. So unless we go through trials, we're not going to mature as fast as we should or, or as much as we should. So let's read it again. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. What does he mean by complete? I think he means when we get to the end of our life, we're not going to be holy as of yet, but our faith will have grown. And when we get to heaven, we will be complete. So I kind of think that's what he's saying there, but I don't know that for sure. Like I said, guys, in my, in my little disclaimer, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I love this stuff. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you've got to go through these trials so you don't lack anything. And I believe this is a picture of heaven. After death, going to heaven, you're not going to lack anything. All right, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and a lot of us lack wisdom, me included, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom or anything else, ask Ask God. He should ask God. And God gives generously to all without finding fault. So you do need to ask with right motives. But just like just like um like Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man in all the earth who ever lived. He prayed and asked God for wisdom. We can do the same. We can do the same thing. That doesn't mean we're going to be the wisest man on earth, but that does mean that God will give generously to us if we're asking with the right motives. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Verse 6. But when he asks... He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So if you're if you're here and you're doubting, if 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 you're asking for wisdom, this this goes along with with verse five. Let's read it again. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. You've got to have faith, believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. What does that mean? Well, let's go to my commentary here. I use the Believer's Bible Commentary, and this is something that I looked up when I was reading this because I just didn't, I didn't quite have a full picture of what was going on here. So um, this is going to go through uh, verses six through eight 
Okay, so we're just going to read this section here because I, it, it's really good. I think it says it a lot better than I can say it. All right, the Believer's Bible Commentary was written by William McDonald. So if you want to get that, you can go to Amazon. You can pick that up. It's like 20 bucks or something like that. It's pretty cheap, but it's really good. All right, let's read this. We must approach God in faith with no doubting. We must believe he loves and cares and that nothing is impossible with him. If we doubt his goodness and his power, we will have no stability in time of trouble. One minute we might be resting calmly on, on his promises, but the next we will feel that God has forgotten to be kind. We will, let, we will be like a surging surge of the sea, rising to great heights, then falling back into valleys, troubled and tossed. God is not honored by the kind of faith that, alienate, that alternates between optimism and pessimism. He does not give divine insight to such vacillating, unstable men. Uh, let's see. In verses 5 through 8, the source of wisdom is God. It is obtained by prayer. It is available to everybody. It is given liberally and without reproach. The crucial condition is that we ask in faith with no doubting. All right, so I think that, that helps a little bit. Um, that helped me a little bit to understand a little bit more. Let's go into verse 7. The man should not think he will receive any, that man, I'm sorry, verse 7 again, that man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. So he's talking about the double-minded man. That man should not think that he is going to receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. I find myself in this position sometimes where I go from, um, like, like the commentary said, like pessimist and optimist, like I, I go between the two. And I think a lot of us do. And I think a lot of us are there, but he's saying here, you can't expect to receive anything from the Lord with that attitude, with that, that, that stuff in your mind. You have to, you have to have faith and not doubt. So I think we have got to put our faith there. We got to stop doubting. And it's so hard to do. It's easy to say. It's really easy to say. It's super hard to do. Verse nine, the brother in humble circumstances. Okay. So I think he's switching topics here. And James does that a little bit. James kind of feels a little bit like Proverbs. They're a little bit longer than, than a proverb. But I, I think he kind of has that style. All right, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. What does humble circumstances mean? What is he saying here? I think he's talking about... Um, I, when I read it, I, I get wealth. Okay, when I read this, I think wealth. So we're just going to go with that. The brother in humble circumstances, the one who's poor, ought to take pride in his high position. Now, in America, we do not see a poor person as being in a high position. But that's what James says here. Verse 10. But the one who is rich, 
should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. So James is following what Jesus said in the Gospels, where Jesus says, The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. The humble are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of the heaven than to enter through the eye of a needle. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hefty. I can't fit through the eye of a needle. He's saying here, the poor person, take pride in your humble position because in your high position, because you, the Lord views you in a higher position than the rich man. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. God sees you as low because he will pass away like a wildflower. It's like... It's so interesting to me. And there's so much that is left out by James here, I think. But we, we know that with riches can come pride and can come um, conceitedness. I think that's a word. And, and we all know people like this. When they get money, they just start getting prideful. And God does not like pride. Pride is a sin. So James says here, that person will pass away. Them and all their wealth will pass away like a wildflower. Verse 11, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. What Paul is saying, or Paul, I'm sorry, we've read a lot of Paul on the Faith Fridays. What James is saying here is that his pride is going to just make him just fade away, just fade into the annals of history. No one's going to remember his, his money. No one's going to remember his wealth. No one's going to remember him. He's just going to, his beauty is going to fade, that 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 awe that everyone has when i think of this person i think of donald trump like when donald trump passes away nobody is going to think about his wealth nobody's going to care that he was the a rich guy now they might care that he was president for a while but they're not going to care that he was a rich man the beauty, the opulence of his buildings and real estate portfolio and Mar-a-Lago and all this stuff. No one is going to care about any of that. His, the blossom will fall. The beauty will fade. The beauty will be destroyed. There, there's just, but, but someone who is poor in humble circumstances who had who's not prideful people will remember that person look look at mother Teresa. now I, I there's a lot of things about mother Teresa i don't agree with all right she was more of a universalist which i do not agree with at all but she was poor she spent her life working among the poor and destitute and sick of um oh i forget what it of calcutta 
well, she was from Calcutta. Uh, but anyway, she, she spent her life doing that. She was poor. She was poor. But everyone continually talks about Mother Teresa and her humble spirit. You will not find a person on the face of the earth who is going to say when Donald Trump dies, he was so humble. (laughs) No one, no one is going to think of that. All right, let's keep going. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Now we're going all the way back to verse 2. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he's withstood it all, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When we die, we're going to get a crown. God promises us a crown, the crown of life. When we get to heaven, we're going to get the crown of life. We will live forever. God promises that to those who love him. I love that. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God doesn't tempt anybody, and God can't be tempted by evil. That's what it just said. But God doesn't tempt people. All right? He, God, a lot of people say God tests, God is testing me right now. If, if someone is like dealing with lustful thoughts or something, someone might say, God's just testing me right now with these lustful thoughts. Nuh-uh, uh-uh. God does not test, God does not, he doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt people. Lustful thoughts is a temptation. Overeating is a temptation. Eating a bunch of food, a lot of junk food. No, that is that is not God. And we're going to find out who that is in verse 14 here. 14, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. We tempt ourselves our own sinful nature, our own sinful evil desires entice us. They drag us away and they entice us. It is not, most of the time, it's not even the devil. Satan doesn't have to work that hard. He really doesn't. A lot of people think Satan's really working in my life. He's really tempting me right now. No, it's you. It's your sinful nature. That's what it is. It's your sinful nature. That is what's tempting you. Your sinful nature is trying to drag you away and entice you. Verse 15. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
then after desire is conceived so it's it's like we're we're seeing like uh, almost a sexual reference here okay when desire is conceived when two people come together a lot of times they conceive a baby all right when that evil desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown just like a person gives birth to death it leads to death i don't think i have to say anything more than that verse 16 don't be deceived my dear brothers every good and perfect perfect give is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows don't be deceived everything that is evil not everything but a lot of things that are evil those temptations they are coming from yourself this is why you cannot have that pride this is why donald trump said i'd like to think i'm pretty good in in an interview he was asked um you know have you asked for forgiveness have have you asked god for forgiveness and he says i i think i've lived a pretty good life i I like try to live my life in a way so i don't have to ask for forgiveness that is complete pure and utter pride but we're seeing here we're seeing the contrast as we read along the difference between a humble spirit and prideful spirit where was i uh let's see we'll read verse 17 again every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of light of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows so those our evil desires are what drags us away like i was saying satan doesn't have to work too hard it's our own evil desires from the fall of man that is in our nature so Satan doesn't have to tempt us. We are all we tempt ourselves. But James is saying here, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift, everything perfect, everything good comes down from the Father who does not change like the shifting shadows. God doesn't change. Our desires, our thoughts, they change on a, on a moment-by-moment basis. God does not change. Everything good comes from Him. Everything bad is either from Satan or from ourselves because we have a sinful nature. Verse 18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created he chose to give us birth through the bible through the word of truth the the word of truth is the bible that is the word of truth that's how we that's how we get closer to god 
That's how we know the truth. That's how we combat pride. I mean, we also combat pride with prayer, but we also combat it by reading the word and internalizing the word so that we continually work on ourselves. We're working on our hearts. Every time we read the word of God, it has a transformative power. These are the actual words of God that he chose people to write down. So we have to be in the word. And that truth, that word of truth, he gave that to us so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So that we might be kind of that, that first crop that, that can go to heaven. Now let's read, I want to read my commentary on that verse, verse 18, just to be sure that I know what's, what it's saying here. All right, 118, oh my goodness, that was a lot. There's a lot on just that verse. Let's read a little bit and see if we can figure it, figure it out. This passage outlines the part played in the new birth by the word of God, as it is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. We are told that of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his, create, of his creatures. Of his own will, this tells us what prompted him to save us. Okay, of his own will, that's what prompted him to save us, is his will. All right. He brought us forth. This describes the fact that the new birth by this describes the fact of the new birth. By this spiritual birth, we become his children, a relationship that can never be changed since a birth can never be undone. By the word of truth, the Bible is the instrument of the new birth. In every genuine case of conversion, the scriptures are involved, whether orally or in printed form. Apart from the Bible, we would not know the way of salvation. Indeed, we would not even know that salvation was available. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There are three prominent thoughts in connection with the word first fruits. First, the first fruits of a harvest was the first sheaf of ripened grain. The Christians to whom James was writing were among the first believers in the Christian dispensation. Of course, all believers are a kind of first fruits of his creatures, but the primary reference is that the Jewish Christians to whom James wrote. Second, the first fruits were offered to God in gratitude for his bounty and in recognition that all comes from him and belongs to him. All right, so that's kind of what we get out of the first fruits. All right, I don't want to belabor that too much, but that makes a lot of sense to me. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Good word. Let's go on to verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. It's simple. He's saying anger just is not what God desires for us. I have spent 
a lot of time in my life being angry. And I have learned uh, through reading the word and just through, really, it's reading the word. My attitude has changed. I'm not an angry person anymore. Now, I had a little bit of an imbalance. I needed more vitamin D. That really helped out too. But it's reading the word. The word is transformational. Verse 20, verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We have got to, especially as men, I don't know if there's any women listening, but as men specifically, we have to deal with being very visual creatures and we look at things that we should not look at. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. That can be with your eyes. That can be with your mouth. That can be with whatever. Usually, it's some sort of sexual temptation for men. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. We all have a propensity for this. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We have to accept the word. We have to accept the truth. We have to get rid of the filth, the moral filth. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This I see a lot in church today. We see this in the modern church a lot. And maybe it's because people don't read their Bible much anymore. Maybe it's because they don't know. Or maybe it's just because they don't do what the Bible says. There is a lot of people that listen to the word, but they don't do what it says. They deceive themselves. Do not Merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We have to do what the word says. We have to do what the Bible says. It's so important. And that's why, that's why I, over the last couple of weeks, maybe a couple of years, I have been struggling with, um, with the, the aspect of a Christian going to war. And I've made a couple of Facebook posts and things like that. And a lot of people blow up about it. Christian people, they blow up about it. But what I see the Bible saying in the New Testament is we are supposed to love our enemies. How can you love your enemy if you kill them? And how... Thou shalt not murder. Now I get it. Going to war and murder isn't quite the same thing, but you're still killing someone. That's what I've been struggling with. And I'm sure some of you listening are veterans. And I'm not trying to say that your service was was wrong or evil. I don't know. That's why I've been trying to figure it out. But what I see the word of God saying is that we must love our enemies do good to those who do evil to you. Do good to those who curse you. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So I'm just struggling with that. I'm trying to do what I hear the word saying. We have to do what the word says. And so it's a, it can be a struggle sometimes because we're in the culture. We're in the culture and yet we still have to follow the word of God. It's like we, it is, it's counterculture. Like the world is going one way. We as believers, God is telling us to go the exact opposite way through the crowd. It's like a fish swimming upstream. It is extremely difficult. And it's extremely difficult when you're in the culture to view God's word outside of the culture. And, and that's what I'm trying to do with the whole war aspect of the, of being a believer. Is it, is it right for a Christian to go to war? You know, a friend of mine said there, you know, there's an awful lot of killing in the new Testament. Yeah, there is, but that's or in the old Testament, but the new Testament and, and God does not change. He, he does not change. But Jesus is saying, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, love those who curse you. Do good to them. If someone asks for your cloak or your your coat, give them your cloak also or whatever, something like that. Give them the shirt off your back. If someone slaps you on one cheek, let them slap the other. And so that's the difficulty that we have as being believers and trying to live counterculturally. And it's super hard, but we have to do it. We have to do what the word says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. Verse 24, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. In my opinion, it kind of sounds like James is saying, you're kind of stupid. <laughs> you're forgetful. You, you just looked at yourself in the mirror and you walk away from the mirror and you forget what you look like. And I thought, I mean, it's oh, this is the hardest part for me. And James, this is the hardest set of verses for me. Verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There's a, there's a promise there. If you continue to search the scriptures, if you continue to read and study, like I've been doing with this war issue, you will be blessed. If you read and you do as the word says, you will be blessed. That is what James says here. Verse 26, we're wrapping it down. Verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. This is a tough one too. 
Because when I think of keeping a tight rein on a person's tongue, I think of cursing, curse words. I think of gossip. I think of those two things specifically. If anyone considers him religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That one is a hard hitter, especially for us men, because I know I can pop off some F-bombs when I'm frustrated, you know, or angry. Now, usually it's under my breath. Under your breath is still using your tongue, right? So, I mean, we've got to do better. I know I have to do better. This is, this is really convicting. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, so he's telling us what he accepts as pure and faultless, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the last verse. Let's read it again, because that's it's really powerful. I don't want you to miss it. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Okay, stop right there. That's not the end, but to look after the widow and the orphan. Am I doing that? Am I doing that? Well, my church gives 50% of the money that they bring in to missions. And some of those missions do help the poor, the, the widow and the orphan. But am I doing it? No, I'm not. Are you doing it? I don't know. It's a question you've got to ask yourself. Because we just read, if you read the word and you don't do it, you're like a man that looks at himself in the mirror and then goes away and forgets what he looks like. If you're not doing this, you're that man. All right. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. And now there's is the second part of it. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Are you being polluted by the world? Am I being polluted by the world? In some cases, yes, I think I am. I think I'm being polluted by the world. Stupid Facebook and Instagram. We, we love to be on our social media stuff, but there is so much crap on social media. They just scantily clad women, curse words coming up from everywhere. Are we being polluted by that? Are we taking that in? Are we ingesting it? Are we seeing that? I'm speaking to myself here just as much as I'm speaking to anybody else. Do not and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What can we do to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world? Well, in my opinion, it's getting off social media. And that's hard for me to do because I 
use social media as part of my business. I'm on social media with videos and with Facebook posts. I'm not really on Instagram. How do we keep ourselves from that? In a culture like ours, where it, I mean, there's billboards of scantily clad women. There's commercials. There's all kinds of things that our culture says is perfectly fine. But the Bible says it's not. How do we guard ourselves against that? And I don't have an answer right now. I don't. But it's something to think about. Guys, I'm going to leave it right there. I think that's a good place to end. We can think on this and chew on it. Read this, read chapter one again. I mean, there's such a lot of good stuff and depth in there. And I've been reading it for two weeks now, and I've barely scratched the surface. I mean, it is just, it's really hard-hitting stuff, especially in verses 23 through through the end of the chapter. It's just, man, James goes after it. So guys, I hope this, this faith Friday episode was helpful to you. I hope it was inspiring to you to not just listen to the word, but to do it. I I really do guys. That's it for this episode. Um, make sure you go and check out mowing in the dark podcast.com. Uh, you can listen to the episodes there if you want to. You can also, there's some contracts there. There's a can- customer cancellation letter there. Everything's cheap. It's $5.99 or less. $5.99 or less. All right. Purchase at your own risk. You can read through some of the, um, the terms and conditions that you can see. I do have a little panel over it so people can't just copy it. But I'm telling you what. Those things are helpful though. I use those resources in my own business and they really do work, but that's it guys. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you in the next faith Friday episode.